It's, it's Easter Sunday. I like to say Resurrection Sunday. And a lot of people would argue that this is the biggest, most significant Christian day of the year. And I, I, I wouldn't disagree with that completely. But do you know why we gather on Sundays? A little bit of study knows that the Sabbath used to be on Saturdays. But do you know why Christians gather on Sunday? It's the Lord's Day. Why is it the Lord's Day? Because the tomb was empty on that Sunday, man. All right, some of you guys are new. Some of you guys have been here a long time. And, and you need to know this. It is Easter. And, and I'm about to roll my sleeves up. And I'm excited. So you can amen. Okay? That is okay. I, that is all right. Here we go. All right. It's Easter. It's this. This, the Sabbath was on a Saturday, but we, when Christ rose again, Christian believers began meeting corporately on Sundays. And you know what they did? They celebrated the resurrection. And we think about Easter. Oh, it's Easter. It's just such a great day. But here's the thing. It's Sunday. In fact, for the believer that has their faith in Christ and what he's done, just what we sang about, that our sins have been forgiven, the Christ's blood has covered our sins, we've been reconciled back to God, that we know that our sins have separated us from him and what we deserve is God's eternal wrath. But if we truly believe that Christ rose out of the grave, that on the cross he paid for our sins and overcame our death, Every day is Easter. That's where you amen. Every day is Easter. We should be excited about this. Every Sunday, in fact, every day should be Easter. But is it? We gathered here Friday night with a fantastic time of worship and scripture reading, and thank you for those that read scripture and led us in worship, and thank you for those that joined us. It was a great time, but, but as, as many of you walked out of here, I hope you heard me say something to you that Sunday's coming. Sunday's coming. And for us to remind ourselves that Christ, Christ didn't stay in the grave. But let me ask you this. Let me, I want you to think about this. It's Easter Sunday. And here's the problem with so many of us, Monday's coming. Monday's coming. And we like to slump back into things of this world. We like to slump back into the mundane things. Well, I've got to work and soccer practice and hockey and swimming and whatever else and I don't, I've got to fix dinner and clothes need to be washed and all of those things. And, and some of those things in this world just suck the joy out of our lives when we forget about Sunday. Today, today I'm going to do my best to draw us back to the essence of Easter. But I will fail. But I'm going to try. We will fail in hearing, myself included, but we're going to, still going to try. We will fail. Here's why we will fail, because, because this is the greatest manifestation of the glory of God, and to try and explain it is impossible. To try to box this up on about 50 minutes on a Sunday morning is absolutely impossible, but I'm going to try. I'm going to try my guts out this morning. It begins with what took place prior to Easter. I don't think we can completely comprehend the resurrection if we don't back up just a little bit and see what transpired before. So let me, let me run you through a little bit of history just a few days prior to the resurrection. Remember the triumphal entry when Jesus rode into Jerusalem? All the people were gathered. He had worked miracles and all of these things. And here was Jesus coming into Jerusalem. And all of the people lined the streets. And they're laying their cloaks down. And, and they have palm branches. And they're shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. The king has come. He's, he's come. And they're rejoicing and rejoicing. And as Jesus crested the hill looking over into Jerusalem, he wept over the city. 
Remember Jesus clearing the temple. The money changers there, desecrating the house of the Lord. And Jesus declared that my father's house is to be a house of prayer. Remember how the plot to kill Jesus was growing and, and it was very dangerous for Jesus to be there. Danger grew throughout that week. And Jesus did most of his, his intense teaching during this week to his disciples. But danger grew. Then Jesus goes to the Last Supper with his disciples in the upper room and he sits down with them and even Judas was there. The scripture tells us that, that, say, that Judas was overcome with Satan and he tempted him and he had deceived, was deceived and he betrayed Jesus. But you know what Jesus did? He washed his feet. After the Lord's Supper, Jesus retreats to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. There his disciples, they, they slumber while he prays earnestly in such, such anguish that he was sweating drops of blood. And he, he comes and wakes them up and says, can't you stay awake? Can't you stay awake for one hour and just pray with me? You, do you understand what is coming? Just pray with me. But yet they slumber. When he's done praying, he was taken away, betrayed by Judas. He was abandoned by his disciples. He was denied by Peter in the court. And he was taken away and put on trial unjustly. He was mocked. He was spit upon. He was punched. He was beaten. He was scourged. So much so that he was unrecognizable as a man. He was exchanged for a murderous criminal named Barabbas. Exchanged for a murderer. Set the murderer free. Kill Jesus. Set the murderer free. Isn't that just a... A revelation of our own hearts. After that, he was made to carry his own instrument of torture throughout the city, outside the city, on a hill called Golgotha, the place of the skull, where he was laid on that cross and he was nailed to it. And he hung there to die among thieves. And he only opened up his mouth to say a few things. One was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. And then he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he said, It is finished. He also remembered that the soldiers, they cast lots for his clothes. If they hadn't taken everything else from him, let's take his clothes. He doesn't need those anymore. They took all he ever had in this world away. And, and, and here's the thing. Jesus gave it all up. He gave it up. And then he was quickly taken down and he was hurried to a, a nearby tomb by Joseph and Nicodemus. And it was over. His followers were broken. Confused, overwhelmed with sorrow and shame. The darkest day of history. What if it ends there? What if it ends there? You ever thought about that? What if that's it? If it ends there, then Christianity is no different than any other religion. Dead men in tombs. If it ends there, we're hopeless. In fact, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians, we're to be pitied. 
We're to be pitied. Foolish if it ends there. Sunday's coming. That's where you amen. Sunday came. Amen? Sunday came, but praise God it doesn't end there. This is what we see and we rejoice in on Easter. And we should every day, every day, if your hope and faith and trust is in Jesus, and I will plead with you this morning to believe in Jesus today because that is where your hope is found. That is when all of the rest of the world is the darkest day in history on Monday when Monday comes and you think of all of this stuff that you've got to do, but your hope is in Jesus and your feet hit the floor, you can say He has risen. He has risen indeed. I have hope. I have hope. The grave is empty. Jesus is alive. And in him we find life. This is why Easter is a big deal. This is why we gather every Sunday and it's a big deal. Do you know what's not a big deal? Where we meet. How good or bad the coffee is, not a big deal. How uncomfortable a folding chair is, not a big deal. You know what is a big deal? Hope is found in Christ, the risen king. That's a big deal. That is a big deal. And this is what I want us to celebrate today. All right, now let's get to the text. I'm going to start preaching in a minute. Okay, I'm just excited. I'm so excited. This is such good news. Luke's chapter 24, we're going to look at the first 12 verses. First 12 verses. You guys there? All right, I got five people. We're going to give you about 10 seconds, and we're going to start reading there. It'll be on the screen here too. Luke 24, starting at verse 1. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to, these are the women, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were, uh, while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground. And the men said to them, listen to this, Why do you seek the living among the dead. He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day and rise? And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and, and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to, to them as, as an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stu stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Here's the thing, what I want you to do. If you underline, highlight, whatever in your Bible, I want you to do this. I want you to underline and highlight this, these three sentences. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for your truth. I thank you that today is the day that we get to celebrate the risen King, Christ. That just as we... We sang this morning that death could not hold him. And Father, we know and we trust that because death could not hold him, death does not hold us if our hope and trust is in him. Father, I thank you for your grace and your mercy. Father, I pray that you would bring us back, that you would bring us back and that you would open our hearts and our minds to see the goodness of who you are, that the truth of the gospel for when Monday comes and Tuesday and Wednesday and, and the rest of the, the days in the week and, and weeks and months come, that we, we don't get caught up in those things, but we, we remember what Christ has done for us. So help us, O oh Lord. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. 
The women approached the tomb. I want you to think about this. The women approached the tomb, and what were they expecting? Here's what they were expecting. Some guards standing there in front of a large stone over the tomb. They're expecting to hopefully persuade them to open the tomb for just a little bit so they could enter in and they could anoint Jesus' dead body. That's what they were expecting. They were expecting a day and days ahead of filled nothing but sorrow and hopelessness. This is what they were expecting. But what they found was just the opposite. They found the guards awestruck. In fact, Scripture tells us they were like dead men, laid out. Holy Spirit laid them out. You know what I'm talking about? Laid out. Like laid on the ground like dead men. Stone rolled away. Jesus not there. The burial cloth folded and two angels sitting there go, hey, what are you looking for? That's what they found. Imagine if this was you going there and seeing this. Your whole world has just crumbled apart. All of your hope was in Christ Jesus, and he was just killed two days, three days before that. And all you can think of is, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? My hope was there. I'm overwhelmed with grief. And this is what God does. He takes things that are ugly and nasty and horrible, and he takes them 180 degree, and he brings joy and hope in this. And this is what we see in this story here. The stone rolled away. They were greeted by angels of the Lord who asked them who they were seeking. And specifically, this is what they said. Why are you seeking the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Just as he told them. Why are you seeking the living among the dead? As I prepared for this, man, that just stuck with me. Why are you seeking the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. There's such great implications in the resurrection of Jesus that only those that know and have faith in him experience. And, and here's my hope and my purpose this morning. If you are a believer in Jesus, that hopefully I remind you, and, and hopefully God, not me, but God works in and through me, that the Spirit just moves, that you are reminded of the hope and joy that you have in Christ. And if you are not a believer, I don't know why you came. Maybe it's just because it's Easter and that's what you're supposed to do. I'm, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad that you are here. Because I have something to tell you about the goodness of who God is. That he loves and cares for you enough that he would send his own son to die for you. God himself would go to the cross for you. In my prayer, I've been praying for you all week. That you would hear and trust in Jesus as your savior. And that we would live out of this. My hope is that we stop looking for the living among the dead. And we trust in Christ with all things. I got five implications of the resurrection that I want us to look at. Just five. Five implications that, that, that speak to us of why do we look to the, for the living among the dead. Here's number one. Here's the first thing that I think we can see in this passage of Scripture where these women come there. We can take God at his word. We can take him at his word. See, these women, they, they arrived there fully expected to find a corpse of Jesus. This is what they expected. But the tomb was empty. The stone was miraculously rolled away. And the guards of the tomb, they were like dead men, fainted on the ground. The burial cloth was folded. An angel greeted the women and reminded them of what Jesus had said. Look at the second half of verse 6 and verse 7. He says, remember how he told you? Hey, remember what he told you? While he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. Remember, he said that. This is what the angel told him there. And our text says that they remembered what he told them. See, Jesus was explicitly clear to his disciples what he came to do. All throughout his ministry, he told them, he says, look, I, I've come. And I'm going to be delivered over to evil men. And I'm going to be crucified. 
but I'm going to be raised up on the third day. In fact, this was one of the reasons why they crucified Jesus. This was kind of how they justified the crucifixion of Jesus. He said he's going to destroy the temple, and then he's going to raise it up in three days. This guy's he's committing blasphemy. Well, I think Jesus proved them wrong Easter morning, amen? text says that they remembered what he had told them. He was very clear that he came to live the perfect life that we never could and die the death that we deserve and overcome the grave of eternal death on our behalf. They told him this in passages like Matthew chapter 17, verses 22 and 23. It says that they were going, as they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. And he will be raised on the third day. I don't know if you can get more clear than that. And they undoubtedly heard Jesus say these things. But for some reason, it didn't register. For some reason, maybe they just didn't believe that. Maybe they needed something else. Maybe they just didn't trust in that. But it was not until they encountered the empty tomb that they remembered and they understood what Jesus had told them was true. He'd done the impossible. He had bore the sins of all who put their faith in him. When he said, it's finished, it's finished. The debt is paid and sin is forgiven and cast as far as the east is from the west. His resurrection is living proof that sin has been dealt with for those that have faith in him. It's dealt with. Christian, hear me. Your sin is dealt with. Why do you keep muddling in the shame of that? If your trust and hope is in Christ, believe in that. Believe in that. That it is dealt with. Have hope in that. Be obedient to Christ. It doesn't mean go on sinning, but trust that He has done that. Sin has been dealt with with for those that have faith in Christ. But let me ask you, do you believe that? I got one amen. Thanks, Wes. Count on my Texas brothers there. No, honestly, do you, do, do you believe that Christ died for you and rose again for you? We should believe it. We should believe this, that our sin is covered, that we're Joined back, we're adopted as sons and daughters to him. Do we trust in Jesus as his resurrection for, for, for me and for you? And do you believe that your eternity is secure? Do you believe that? So here's, here's my, my question for this. If so, why do we have such a hard time trusting his word about other things? Oh, God, I trust you. I trust you with my salvation, but you don't know what I deal with at work. God, I, I trust you with, I know that my faith is in you, and I know that I'll spend eternity with you, but you don't know my kids. God, I, I just, I, I do trust you that I'm saved. I do trust you that, 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 I'll inherit the kingdom of heaven. I believe that your sins, that my sins are paid for. I believe that Jesus has died for me, but, but God, I have a really hard time trusting you with my marriage. If we can trust him with our eternity, we can trust him with our daily life. Anybody else struggle with that? Here's number two. I'll let you chew on that one for a minute. The bondage of sin is great, but Christ is greater. Kind of piggybacking off of what I just said there. The death, here's the thing. The death of Jesus looked like the single greatest defeat of God's people and God himself. That, it, that, that, 
that, that God's people had ever experienced. And, and here's what we see. Instead of ascending to a throne and conquering his enemies, the promised king had been humiliated, stripped naked, beaten, spit upon, punched, made to wear a crown of thorns, mocked, laughed at, and pierced, and crucified. But here's the thing, at the precise moment, at the exact moment, when it looked like evil had won, Jesus wins. He is victorious. It is in all of those things. It was sin that drove Jesus to the cross. It was sinful men that put Christ on the cross. It was sinful men that denied him in the, uh, there in the courtyard. It was sinful men that betrayed him at the Last Supper. And it was sinful men that sit here today that sinned that drove Jesus to the cross. But Jesus is victorious. It is sin that condemns us to everlasting judgment from God. It is sin that is a direct offense to God's good authority. And because we all sin, all of us, Romans tells us that we deserve that judgment. I don't think we consider the severity of our sin enough. We easily make very light of our sin. We either ignore it or pass it off as no big deal. That was a little white lie. It's not that big of a deal. Other people do that. Other people live that way. Other people say those things. But let me tell you something, sin's a really big deal to God. Last Friday is a remembrance of how big of a deal sin is to God. Psalm 5, 5 tells us this, The boastful shall not stand before your eyes, you hate evildoers. Isaiah 59, 2 says, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sin Sins have hidden his face from you so that, that he does not hear. Roman tells us that we are all slaves to sin. It masters us and we are in bondage to it and it leads to death and destruction. Roman says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift is life in Christ Jesus. Through Christ and by Christ we find forgiveness and reconciliation. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The bondage of sin is great, but Christ is greater. Jesus rose to prove that you really can be saved from your sin. I need to say that's a look at me with your face moment right there. Jesus rose to prove that you really can be saved from your sin. You don't deserve salvation. None of us do. You can never achieve it in your own strength. But Christ does. Jesus does. If Christ did not rise from the dead, hope would have laid in the grave next to him. But he didn't. The tomb is empty. He is not dead. And therefore we have hope. When it seems as though you are too overcome with evil and shame, take heart. Take heart. The resurrection is greater. Christ rose again so you could overcome sin. He offers freedom. Freedom from those things. Things that bind us down and lead to death and destruction. Jesus says, I've overcome those things. Trust in me. Hope in me. Follow me. The bondage of sin is great, but Jesus is so much greater. Here's number three. The resurrection is living proof. Eternal death has been defeated. The resurrection is living proof that eternal death has been defeated. Satan's plan to destroy the Son of God, the author of life, was thwarted at the resurrection. He did die, but he didn't stay there. 
God raised him to life. Peter says in Acts 2, 24, you guys remember maybe a few months ago as we were walking through the book of Acts, we still are. Peter says this in his sermon, he says, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by. I think we sang about that this morning. Jesus rose to prove that he had power over death, eternal death. Until he rose, death seemed to swallow up every ounce of hope from generation to generation from the beginning until he rose. And the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. It is death. Not maybe or could be or some people think it might be, but it is. The wages of sin is death. And it also tells us that none is righteous, no, not one. None seek after the Lord. All of our words are evil. All of those things that none of us are. It says all have turned aside and we all deserve God's wrath, but God is greater. What we deserve is eternal death, but Christ and his resurrection is living proof that eternal death has been defeated for all those that have faith in him. in scripture but God had promised everlasting life from the beginning this book is filled that with with the gospel here this book is filled with the coming Christ the promise of the Messiah and the resurrection is a centerpiece of all history it's the centerpiece of all history the Christ rose all of history prior to that was looking for the risen king and all of history after the resurrection looks back and we know that Christ is risen. In fact, Scripture tells us, Scripture tells us that over 500 people met the resurrected Christ. How in the world do you get five people to tell the same story, much less 500 to tell the same lie? It doesn't happen. Christ rose. And is living proof that eternal death has been defeated. I love what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians. It's such great hope. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 55 through 57. He says, oh, death. And this is like, Paul just goes on in this, like, this celebration of joy and hope that the resurrection is the defeat of death of all of those that have faith in him. This is what he says. This is like, oh, death. This is like Paul singing here. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. Yes. I want to I read this like Paul wrote it. Like, I'm just imagining what he was like. He's just so overwhelmed with the resurrection of Christ and knowing that he's sealed with him and nothing in this world could thwart his joy in Christ. I want to sing it and I want to say it like Paul did. Oh, death, where is your victory? It's non-existent. For those who are in Christ Jesus, the resurrection is living proof. Because Christ lives, we can live. Here's number four. Life is found only in the resurrection. Life is found only in the resurrection. The angel makes this profound statement. Why do you seek for the living among the dead? I encourage you to ponder this question for a moment. Why do you seek for the living among the dead? So often people look for meaning and purpose and joy and fullness in things other than Jesus. It may be a job, it may be your image, it may be sex, it may be money, it may be power, it may be your kids, it may be your stuff. Let me tell you something, those things make horrible gods. Horrible gods. They're dead things. Here's what I see often too. Is most of the time we try and seek for life in our own pride, the God of self. Right? Here's what I mean by that. It's the God of our own self-righteousness. One that, one that we master. Well, we may sprinkle a little Jesus on that and... 
they call it good. You may go to church a few times and say a prayer in hopes that, that the God of our imagination will bend a knee to our own wishes. They say, well, God, I prayed about that. Why didn't you answer it the way I wanted you to do? I think what we're doing is looking for the living among the dead. Because if our hope and trust is not fully in Christ, then we have no hope. In fact, Scripture tells us that we're dead in our trespasses and sins. We have this God of our imagination that we wish to bend a knee to us, a genie in a bottle. Let me ask you, how does that often work out, honestly? How does that work out? Do we really make good gods? We're horrible gods. I know my own heart. I said this before, man, I drive that bus in the ditch immediately. And I wreck it. And here's the thing, when we look for life and the things of this world, we are looking for life among the dead. Scripture tells us that everything in this world is passing away. When we are looking for life in something other than Christ Jesus, we're looking for life in things that are dead. And I plead with you to see that truth. These things don't give life. They give false sense of life. They may make you feel good, give a little reprieve, but they don't last. None of these things of this world can ever fulfill you and give you true life. But when we put our hope in anything other than the resurrected Jesus, we find death and destruction. But when we put our hope and our faith in Christ, we find life. When we put our hope and our faith in something other than Christ, it's death and destruction. And the reason is they're not designed to give you life. They don't give life. John 10.10 says this, says, this is so true about this. The thief comes only to steal, kill, kill, and destroy. Let me stop there for just a second. The evil one, the thief, Satan, he loves to tempt us and fool us into other things other than Christ will give us life. He loves to tempt us to say, hey, um, you will find life if you give more and more of yourself to this job and make more money so you can buy more stuff. The evil one will tempt you in saying, well, if you just lived here and did this and did that and, 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 and you had this reputation or this many Instagram followers or this many likes on your social media or had this many people in TikTok or whatever it is, then, then that's where life is found. How's that working out? The evil one will tell you that you can find more hope and freedom and joy in a relationship outside of what God deems. But we find is death and destruction. The evil one will convince you that you can find hope and joy, maybe something off of the internet or in a bottle or Drugs or any of those things. That's what the evil one tries to convince us to. Or maybe the evil one will just, just convince us that the worst thing you can do is just follow your heart. Let me tell you something. Don't follow your heart. Don't you dare. Your heart is evil. My heart is evil. In and of itself, it is evil. Without Christ making my heart new, it is evil. We sing our hearts are prone to wander. Scripture tells us that it is evil among all things. Don't follow your heart, but the evil one will whisper in your ear. And what he wants to do is steal, kill, and destroy everything that Christ stands for. But you know what? Look at the rest of this verse. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Abundantly. Now let me, let me explain this. Your family and a great marriage and where you live and a job, all of these things are good. And I'm not saying abandon those things by no means. I'm not. All those things are good. God gave us those things, your family and all those things. There are many of these things that are good, but they're not the giver of life. 
Those things don't give you life. Jesus is the creator and sustainer of life. Colossians 1 tells us this, Colossians 1, 15 through 17, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And here's the problem, is we are duped into being satisfied with the created when what we really need is the Creator. We need Jesus. We need Jesus going to the cross and being resurrected and showing us his nail-scarred hands and his side and his feet. And he says, I've done this for you. This is what you need. You don't just need my stuff. You need me because my stuff is not enough. You need me. This is why he said in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. You need Jesus. And anything less than Jesus does not bring life. Here's number five. The resurrection demands to be shared. Demands it. I'm speaking to the believers in the room. The resurrection demands to be shared. It's not optional. I want you to see, see in our passage that these women, they left quickly and told the other disciples that Jesus had risen. Let me tell you a little something about these women. In the time that this was written and this occurred, women were not credible people. In fact, they couldn't even testify in court. And if this was a lie, and somebody wanted to write this book as a whole lie over <laughs> a lot of years and a lot of different people that, that penned this book, if they want to say that this was a lie, why in, they, why in the world would they say that women went to the tomb and found and met and saw the tomb, res, uh, the tomb empty first? Why would they do that? That wouldn't make sense. Maybe you would say, well, maybe it was one of the, the uh, Roman guards or something like that. But, but when you look at this, these, the, the women were not credible at the time, but you see what they did. I want you to see what they did. They left quickly, and they told the other disciples that Jesus had risen. Risen. We also see in the other gospel accounts that, that the angel actually told them to go and tell them, go and get the disciples, go and get them, and have them come here. Let them see the empty tomb. They need to know this. You need to go and tell them, and they did. They did so because this is big news. He lives, and he has overcome for us. This is big news. It's the greatest news of all. Gospel means good news. I have a hard time saying it's just good news. It's the best news. Christ lives. He lives and he's overcome for us. It's amazing. And it was so amazing that they could not keep it to themselves. In Matthew it says that they ran quickly. These women ran back. And the other disciples, they ran to the tomb and see. To see, and our text says that Peter rose and ran to the tomb. He ran to the tomb. In John, you read the account of, of the resurrection of Jesus there. John makes note that, that in his gospel that he too ran to the tomb with Peter, but he outran Peter. I like that he had to put in there that he was faster than Peter. But here's what we see. They saw the tomb empty, and later Jesus met with them. And he ate with them. And Thomas touched his hands and his side. And they believed these things. And, and these believers, these first believers, they spent the rest of their lives proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus. Because it was certainly newsworthy. Certainly newsworthy. Why? Why? Why would these believers face death? In persecution, time after time. Why? Why would they do this? Because they can take Jesus at his word. Because if he can overcome the grave, it means that he has forgiven their sins that we have trust in him. You take him at his word. It means that, that my sin is great, but the resurrection of Jesus is greater. It means that I deserve death, but, but I know that my death has been defeated in Christ. 
It means that I know that the true life is only found in the resurrection of Jesus. That's why it's big news. And if this is true for me, it's true for others. It's true for others. If it's true for me, it's true for others. If it's true for you, it's true for others. It demands to be shared. It demands it. It doesn't say, oh, you can, might go and do this. Hey, if you think about it, it demands it. This is the absolute greatest news that people would ever hear because it is only this news that has the power to transform and change the eternal destination of people. Let that sink in. I love that our text also says that Peter went away marveling at what happened. I did a little study of this word marvel. It means to be utterly awestruck, amazed, and in absolute awe. Imagine as Peter walked away going, this is amazing. I remember what he said. This is what he meant. This is what he meant. This is what he was talking about, that they were going to destroy him, and, and he would raise again on the third day. This is what he meant when he said he was going to be handed over to evil men, and they would crucify him, but he would rise on the third day. This is what he meant. This is it's true. It's true. i got to go tell people, and you see Peter just boldly, this one that denied Jesus in the, guard, in the, in the temple court, he denied him, and here he goes and spends the rest of his life proclaiming the good news of Jesus that the tomb is empty. Christ has risen. True. In Mark 16, 15 through 16, he said this, And I said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. It demands it. Demands it on two accounts because those that believe, they're saved. And if they don't hear it, how can they believe? Romans 10 tells us. Because what we see here, if they don't believe, they are condemned. Wrath is upon them. It demands it. The five questions, and I'm going to close out today, Easter Sunday, just for us to ponder. Do you believe in the truth of God's Word? Do you believe in this book? From table of contents to genuine leather, do you believe it? Because here's the problem. If you say, well, I love all of this, but with this one little part, you might as well throw the whole thing away. We believe all of it because it's true. It's true. It's happened. It's done. It is finished. Do you believe the truth of God's Word? And if you do, how is that living? How's that playing out? If you believe that God's Word that says that He died and rose again for you, do you... Do you believe him when he says, hey, trust me with this, or trust me with that, or trust me with your obedience? Here's the second question. Do you trust the resurrected Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin? Probably the most important question I could ask today. Do you trust in the resurrected Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin? That is the most important question you will ever answer in your life. I promise you. Do you trust in him? Do you believe that Jesus has defeated your eternal death? And if you do, then live. Live for the king. Live joyous for the king. Is your life found and hidden in the risen King Jesus? Is your life found and hidden in the risen King Jesus? And what I mean by found, is that where you find hope and joy and purpose? And do you know that it is, your life is hidden there with Him for all eternity? 
And here's the last one. If so, how are you sharing the resurrected? Demands to be shared. How are you sharing the good news that the tomb is empty? It's Easter Sunday. It's Resurrection Sunday. It should be a day that all of us are filled with joy and hope. Because the King of kings and the Lord of lords, He lives. The only religion that has a living Savior, He lives. My prayer is that we live that out, not just today, but when Monday comes, and the next Monday, and the next Monday, and the next Monday, that we find joy and hope in the risen King Jesus, and we stop looking for the living among the dead, and we look for life in Christ, moment by moment. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for Easter. I thank you that we can sing for joy. I thank you that we can praise you, that the tomb is empty, the stone was rolled away, and the angel said, he is not here, he is risen just like he said. Oh, God, praise you for that. We praise you for that. But, Father, my prayer, too, is that we live in and out of that. That Christ is one. That there is no victory in our death if we have hope and faith in him. The victory is won. So, Father, my prayer is that you would help us to live that out with true joy and hope in all that we do. God, help us to be mindful to not look for the living among the dead, but look for life in Christ and Christ alone. Father, it's in my deepest affections for you that I pray this.